Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeupc.org. I want to talk just for a few minutes tonight about, uh, about success and how our success is in the bounce back. How many of you have had difficulties and failures and issues where you just fell flat on your face, you fell down in failure, maybe it was on your job or in your finances, however you fail, how many can testify that I have just fallen short before, I've I've royally messed up, I've embarrassed myself, I've embarrassed my family, I've embarrassed my friends, amen, but it's not just about when we fall, but it's about how we get back up, and I'm thankful that the Word of God gives us tools and resources to get back up when we fall short, and I'm thankful that the Lord is merciful and He's gracious towards us for when we have those mistakes. Micah chapter 7, verse 8 says, Do not rejoice over me, my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. And then Matthew chapter 24 and verse 13 says, But he who endures to the end shall be saved. He who endures till the end shall be saved. These are two these are two messages, these are two scriptures of hope, but so many times we don't recognize hope for what it is. Hope is what is extended to us when we go through a dark situation and a trying situation. But even though we have to go through those situations, I am still thankful for hope and I'm still thankful for the hand of the Lord that He extends towards me. Can I get an Amen. Amen, amen, amen. I just want to pause real quick before we go any further and say that my parents are not playing hooky. They're not at home on the back porch. They, my, uh, one of my cousins is being ordained tonight in San Antonio, so they went to be there with that family. So if you're wondering where Pastor is, he's not playing hooky. He's not barbecuing on the back porch tonight. He's off, he's off celebrating the success of our family. Amen. So when we talk about bounce back, there's, there's one thing that comes to my mind, and that's Newton's third law of motion, or it can better be known as the law of action and reaction. So many of us remember that from when we were at school, and that is the law states that for every action in nature, there is an equal and opposite what? Reply back to me. Reaction. So, so, it's, so, so, so what that means is there's a bounce back effect in life. I'm so familiar right now with bouncing balls. Presley is learning how to bounce and he's driving me nuts because he uh, because his basketball I let some of the air out of it because it was just it was bouncing everywhere, but when I let the air out of it, it started to make a lot more noise. It's thump thump and so the bounce is driving me crazy in my life right now, but so many times our life is just like that. We get thrown up against the wall, we get hit with a bat, we get hit with something, we get hit with, tr- uh, 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 with troubles and problems, and what do we do? We bounce the other way, and that's not always bad, but it can be bad when we aren't facing the right direction and we aren't bouncing to God and we bounce to the things of this world. Bounce is a verb. Bounce is just that. When you bounce a ball, there's force going one direction, and when it meets... When, when it meets um, when when it meets opposition or obstacle, what does it do? It bounces back the opposite way in the same force that it was originally going. Another, uh, another definition means to move in one direction, hit a surface such as a wall or the floor, and then quickly move in a different and usually opposite direction. How many of you have, have been bounced in your life? Amen. 
You just, uh, uh, you just experienced something that, that you didn't want to experience. Your life was moving along at a perfectly good pace. You were, you were cruising along in life. You were on cruise control, so to speak. And then all of a sudden there was a wall and you hit that wall. And it, and, and it felt like you, uh, you took three or four steps back because of the wall that you hit. I want to look tonight in Scripture at 2 Samuel chapter 12 um, at at the life of David, the life of David. He's a very familiar, a very familiar figurehead, and I guess you could say celebrity uh, of Scripture. And there's a lot that we can learn from the bounce back from from David. Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. I probably won't read all 14, but all 14 apply to the subject. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, "There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor." The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing. Everybody say nothing. Nothing. We can relate to that. Except, except one, little, one little bitty lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. The lamb ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay on his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man um, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So now we're, going, so now we're getting to what we really want to talk about. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. David was angry because the man had taken what belonged to him. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. Everybody say die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Then verse number 9, this is what I really, really want to focus on. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of, A- uh, of Ammon. So, so, so David had killed Uriah the Hittite and taken his sword and taken his wife. He had taken what did not belong to him, but just before this, David was extremely mad because someone was stealing from him, and then Nathan had to remind him, hang on, David, hang on. There was a time, there was a place when you were killing people. There was a time and a place where you weren't living like you should live. There was a time and a place where you weren't meeting, uh, when, you weren't, uh, when you weren't meeting society's expectation or the people who looked up to you and revered you and respect you. You were not meeting their expectations. And so now going to Acts Chapter 13, verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse. He's a man after my own heart who will do all of my will. We're hearing two, two extremely opposite, opposite 
portions of Scripture describing one man. You see, upon reading 1 Samuel 12 and Acts chapter 13, it could be very easy for us to assume that these verses were talking about two different people. Amen? It's polar opposites from what we are reading. How did David, the adulterer and the murderer, ever live up to the high and lofty title a man after God's own heart? How can that happen? He, he, we all remember the story of Bathsheba, which we'll get into here in a few minutes. He, he stole another man's wife, and then um, he, he got mad because someone was stealing from his flock and stealing from um, the food that his flock ate. And so he ran to Nathan, and Nathan, had to re- and Nathan had to remind him, whoa, 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 you killed a man one time, and then you stole his sword and his wife. So we're hearing two opposite ends of the spectrum of one man's life, but this one man was still known throughout, throughout the halls of history, throughout the archives, the archives of history as a man after God's own heart. There's a key sentence in this continuation or in the continuation of this story, and it can be found in 2 Samuel verse 12 and 20. So we're going back now to the first passage. Verse 20 of 2 Samuel chapter 12 says, So David arose from the ground. Everybody say arose. He arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and he worshipped. He worshipped. He had fallen flat on his face. He had made mistakes. He was reminded of those mistakes. And he re, and, and I'm sure if, if, if David at that time was like we are in this time, we, we, we often relive our mistakes. We, uh, 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 we process over again in our mind the mistakes that we made and we beat ourselves up with the condemnation and I'll never be good enough. I can never go back to church because people know my failures. People know my shortcomings. But that is how we think. But David thinks just that he thought just the opposite of what we think. After he found himself in the molly grubs, after David found himself lying on the ground, having the best pity party he had ever had, he got up and he worshiped and he ran to the house of the Lord. We can stop right here and teach a lesson or preach a sermon on that one verse and we can leave in a better place than what we came. But I want to go a little bit further. But before I do go further, I want to encourage you, no matter how bad your life gets, no matter how bad or how hard you hit the wall of opposition and whatever area of your life, you can get up, dust yourself off, and worship the Lord and run to the house of the Lord. And I'm thankful that we have this house that we can run to whenever we find opposition. Can we give God praise for this house? Amen. So, so now I want to dive in a little bit deeper and talk about some real life application. Everybody say real life. Real life. Sunday we talked about the spiritual realm of everything, of how God sends us. But tonight I want to talk about just real life issues. And so with that being said, ladies, you can cancel your yoga classes if you take yoga. For those who like to talk about their issues and their stress, um, you can cancel the appointment with your shrink. 
for the health nuts here, you can, or, or maybe those who profit off all the diet supplements and, 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 and whatever the flavor of the month multi-marketing scheme is, you can throw away all those herbal supplements and your drinks and your, and, and your powders and your diet pills. You can throw all of that away and you can just know that you can improve your money, you can increase your energy, you can build your confidence, and you can have peace that, that like you've never had before by running to the Lord in your time of trouble. You can do that. The things of this world are great. They're awesome. There's nothing wrong with all the classes. There's nothing wrong with talking to a counselor if you're going through problems. I believe in that. I advocate that. I was talking with someone Sunday night who was having marital problems, and, and I told them I was in a hospital room. It was 1130 at night on Sunday evening, and I found myself in a hospital room, and somebody was, uh, 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 this family was crying out to me. They were having some marital problems. I, I sure didn't know how to fix their marriage, and so I just stopped, and I told them, look, I'm a preacher. I'm not a counselor. You need to seek a Christian counselor for your problems, but what I can do is I can pray for you right now, and so many times when we just stop in the middle of our situation, and we run to Jesus, the problem might not disappear immediately, but we can find hope in the middle of a hopeless situation and we might still have to get counseling we might still have to go and we we might have to get help from someone who can teach us how to communicate or how to cope with our issues but in the middle of all of that God can still offer peace in the midst of our storm can I get an amen amen so you can give away the tickets to the seminar that promises you to make your life healthier to make you wealthier Anybody want to become wealthier? I know I sure do. I, I, I sure could use a little bit more money in my month. You can cancel the tickets that you had to that conference to make you wise. My dad and I, in the month of March, we were scheduled to go to, um, it's called the Smart Leadership Conference. We were unable to go because we had a conflict of schedule, but we were going to go to a conference to get smart. Imagine that. We were just going to go spend $100 a person. We were going to sit at this conference, and we were going to get smart just because we paid on money. I actually think we were going to get a little bit more dumb, but people do all kinds of crazy things in hope, in the hope of bettering our life. You, uh, 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 we go to happiness conferences. We go to all kinds of stuff to make us feel better and there's nothing wrong with that but the true source of wealth the true source of happiness the true source of contentment can never be found on a couch can never be found at a seminar can never be found through whatever it is that you're selling or your friend is selling this month but happiness can only be found on our knees when we are seeking after the face and the will of Jesus Christ see there's odd discoveries odd discoveries promised to accomplish all the above and so much more in our life. But listen to these testimonies that I want to share with you tonight. J.W. from Texas, and I'll explain here in a few minutes who J.W. was. J.W. from Texas says, I'm healthier, happier, wealthier, and almost in almost every other way better off than I was before. M.B. of Louisiana says, it was a glorious experience. C.R. of California reports, I have a greater appreciation for others now more than ever before. Their secret? Well, that's the mysterious untold formula for a better life and an enriching, successful existence. But how did they get that? Well, J.W. from Texas, he's former Speaker of the House of Representatives Jim Wright. He was charged with 63 ethics violations and forced to retire from office. 
He was healthier and happier after this fact because he realized the art of bouncing back and learning from his mistakes. M.B. of Louisiana is Maurice Bickham, who served 37 years in the Louisiana State Penitentiary for defending himself from the Klansmen who had shot at him. He said after being released that his 37 years in prison were a glorious experience. Even though he was an innocent man in prison who was just defending himself, he learned something in those 37 years locked up in the state penitentiary. I can't imagine that. I don't know about you, but I would go crazy knowing that I was an innocent man locked up. CR of California is Christopher Reeve. We Most of us know him because he's the star of the movie Superman, and he was he made his statement about appreciating people after uh, he had an accident, after a horse riding accident, left him paralyzed from the neck down. This is what he said. I have a greater appreciation for others now than ever before. It's amazing that when we go through the rough things of life, the rough cycles of life that we did not ask for and that many times we did not even deserve, how we can learn from that and we can bounce back stronger. We can bounce back stronger. Everybody say bounce back. So you want to be happy. You you want to become a better person. You want to improve your life. Well, try some public humiliation. Try some unjust incarceration. Or try being a, quadri- a, a quadriplegic. And maybe we can bounce back and we can learn. The above example sure did. It's very difficult for us to comprehend how getting fired, spending 37 years in prison, or being immobile could make our life better. When I think of that, that does not think, I can't think of my life becoming better because of these situations. This is difficult for us because we have a tendency to expect the worst in every situation. Are you like that? I know I'm like that. Oh, Lord, we got uh, uh, this has to happen next week, and I don't know how it's going to happen. Babe, we have to pay our taxes this past week. Babe, I don't know how it's going to happen. How is this going to happen? How is that going to happen? Oh, goodness. Uh, oh, goodness. Uh, it's not going to happen. Are you with me? Is, can anybody agree with me that you automatically think the worst when it comes to the situations that you face? But that is not God's will for our life because He is the hope of creation, regardless of the circumstances that we face, even if it's consequences to decisions that we made and consequences that he will not allow us to go around, we can still have the hope that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. How many is thankful for that concept and that promise of his word that we can live by? See, there's a study that I came across this afternoon. It says, it says that people automatically assume the worst. People would rather die than go through some studies, uh, 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 than go through some sicknesses. In the study, people came up with 85 illnesses that would be so horrible they would rather be dead than suffer through them. Yes, studies indicate that folks who endure such ailments rarely take their own lives. See, some people would rather die than go through this 85, this list of 85 sicknesses, but the people who live on that list of 85 ailments, the suicide rates are lower than the rates of those who are not on that list. How is that so? Our reaction to failure, tragedy, 
and injustice determines our destiny. How do you react? How do you react? How do you react? A few days ago, someone was texting me, and they were really concerned about what was happening on their job. Many people were getting laid off, and they were fretting. They were being fearful. And I just said, be, uh, 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 just be of good faith. Be of good cheer. The Lord our God is in control. That was the lines that I was saying, and that I was trying to be encouraging, knowing that if I was in this person's situation, I would feel just like that. I would be texting somebody freaking out. I would be discouraged. A couple days went by and the person texted me and said, you will never believe what happened when I got to work this morning. She said, I got to work. I sat down. Somebody comes in, closes the door. And what happens? Person said, I immediately thought I was being let go. But the first words that came out of the boss's mouth was relax, you're not getting terminated. What happened? That person got a raise. So many times we let the circumstances that are going on around our life, we let that dictate how we view life. We live in an evil world. We live in a bad world. We live in a world where divorce is on the rise. Sin is at an all-time high, and it's only going to get higher based off of what Scripture says. We have to accept that fact. We can't go live. We can't go live as hermits. We can't put our head in the sand. We have to accept that fact. But we live in this world, but we are not of this world. So yes, bad stuff might be happening around us. It might be dark all around us, but we are the light sitting on a hill. We are a city that cannot be hidden. That is why it's important for us to view this life and view the injustices that we face and the consequences that we often deal with for years down the road even after we are saved we deal with consequences of uh, 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 of our life of sin it might be physical consequences it might be emotional it might be relational whatever the consequences are sometimes we live with those for years even after God has saved us but just because we still live with that we have a hope we have confidence in Jesus Christ that he can cause us to bounce back we might be uh, we not uh, we might not be successful based off of the world's standards, but we are successful based off of God's standards. If you are living your life according to God's word, if you had dedicated your thoughts, your mouth, your heart, and your family to the cause and the principles of God's word, you will be found faithful and your name will be found in the Lamb's book of life. So don't get caught up with what you see around you. Can I get an amen? I mean, let's give God a hand clap of praise for that. David failed. Everybody say David failed. David's failures were the sins that would ruin forever, that would forever ruin his reputation. Think of it. If you had murdered someone, that would forever ruin your reputation. Correct? People can still love you. People can still be nice to you. People can still, your family can still love you and visit you when you're incarcerated. That can happen. You can serve out your life. And you can get to be a free man again if your sentence and your probation and everything, the consequences works out that way. And people can be nice to you, but your reputation is forever ruined. Think of David, that's what he had did. But not only did he do that, but he was also known as an adulterer. He was known for being a homewrecker. He was known for wrecking another home. But yet he was still known as the man after God's own heart. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. 
She got pregnant. He tried to cover it up and as a result had her husband positioned on the battlefield so that he would die. David didn't kill him with his own hands, but he manipulated the situation. He purposefully put this man in the situation where he knew this man's not going to come home. He did this. He manipulated a situation. How many times are we guilty of manipulating our own situations in life against people or for people? It's very, it's very important. This is not in my notes, but it's very important for us to not be manipulators. A manipulator is just a person who can, who, 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 who can forge events to happen, who can control and can work people against people and can turn people against people. We should not be that as Christians. You shouldn't be the manipulator in your workplace. You shouldn't manipulate someone else to get in trouble on your job so that you can get a raise. You shouldn't manipulate people and your family against each other so that you can gain from it somehow later down the road. We should not be manipulators. We should be peace. Keepers. We should be peacemakers when there are manipulators in the workforce. When you do have that manipulator as a brother-in-law or a sister-in-law or, or as a kid or as a parent, uh, you should work to be the peacemaker in that family because we have the power of God living in us. And God's presence does not create chaos. God's presence creates peace. What is the opposite of peace? It's confusion. Have you ever kicked an ant pile and watched what happened? What do you see? You see confusion. You can't go walking in life and kicking the ant piles of life and create confusion and say that God lives inside of you. Confusion is not a byproduct of God's spirit living inside of us. Unity and peace is a byproduct of his spirit living in our lives. And so we must forever bear that fruit. We must find peace with all men. So David positioned Bathsheba's wife on the battlefield. He married Bathsheba when she gave birth to the baby that they had conceived. We all know the story. The baby became ill and passed away. David fasted and prayed for seven days for the life of the child, but the child died anyway. How many times have you found yourself in a situation where you prayed and you fasted and the child died anyway? It might not have been a literal child. It might not have been a person that passed away. But the situation did not turn out like you wanted it. Stay encouraged. Stay encouraged. Know that God orders our steps. Either either God is Lord of all or he he is not Lord at all. He's in control of every part of our life. And we as Christians, we as believers must have faith and we must have confidence that God is ordering our steps. Lord, I don't understand this situation, but I know you are in control. God, I don't know why my family has walked the path that they've walked these past few years, but you are in control, and I trust you. How many trust the Lord? Amen. I want to trust the Lord no matter what circumstance, no matter what situation, no matter what heartache I find myself walking. I want to trust in the Lord. Amen. So, so David, he, he fasted and prayed for seven days. The baby still passed away. When David got the news, he got up. He takes a shower. You can find this in your, in, 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 excuse me, in your Bible. He puts on some clean clothes. He shaves. He puts on cologne. He goes down to the house of the Lord and worships God. Two places in Scripture we can find where David 
was facing horrible outcomes to situations. The worst news that a man could ever get. But yet, what did he do? He got up, he got dressed, he faced the day. He said, this is my reality, and I'm going to face it. I'm going to own it. I'm not going to worry about what others say. Others can gossip. Others can talk. Others can spin this. Others can manipulate this. Uh, others can stretch this and tell it to their friends and knowing that their friends are going to do the same thing. Has, ever, has anybody ever been, has anybody ever been the, uh, the victim of the gossip mill, of the rumor mill? I think we all have at some point. We should not be the gossip mill. You should make it a priority in your life that you're not going to be a part of the rumor mill. People only take trash where? My dad says it's so good. People take trash, where do they take it? To the disposal. I don't want to be a disposal, but I want to be a place where positive words and uplifting words can come, where faith, where healing can be spoken, where faith can be spoken. I need that in my life. I have enough of my own issues. I have enough of my own humanity. I have enough of my own failures. I can't handle and I can't bear someone else's cross. But I can love them and I can pray for them while they bear their cross. Amen. So David goes down to the house of the Lord and he worshiped God. I can only imagine, you know, David was a wealthy man. He, uh, he, he was king. He had servants. He had everything that he could ever want at his disposal. So I can imagine his servants asking him this. When the child was sick, you fasted, you mourned, you prayed. Now that he's dead, David, you get up and you act like nothing's wrong. How can you worship God in a time like this? How can you get up off the floor after such a major tragedy? How can you go on with your life after such sadness? I think those are valid questions. I think at times we've all found ourselves on the floor in tragedy and we didn't want to get back up. But David ran to the house of the Lord. David responded, when the child was ill, I fasted and wept. I hoped that maybe God would save the child, but now it's happened like it has. I'm paraphrasing the story so we don't have to read a whole chapter in the Bible, just so you know. But now it's happened. What's the point in laying on the floor? Ask yourself that, situa- th- that question right now and apply it to your situation. What's the point in laying here? What's the point in being overwhelmed? What's the point in being hopeless? When you can take your burdens to the Lord. David also said in Psalms, cast your cares upon the Lord for what? He cares for you. That's the God that we serve. So what can we learn from this? What can I learn from this? How can I apply this to my life? We often say everything happens for a purpose, right? Well, everything happens for a reason. Everything, I've said it, you said it, we can all agree that there's some truth to that statement because indeed everything does happen for a purpose. While that is an accurate statement, sometimes things happen because we make dumb decisions. That hurts, don't it? Facing the fact that we've made some ignorant decisions in our life. However, our reaction to our dumb decisions is what truly defines us as a success or failure. How we respond in the face of our own crisis. David was resilient. Tragedy 
did not define David. Tragedy didn't. Tragedy might have surrounded him. He might have walked the pathway of tragedy, but tragedy did not define who he was and how David thought. Sorrow did not overwhelm him. If sorrow would have overwhelmed David, he would have never been able to pick himself up off of the floor, go take a shower, clean himself up, get his act together, wash his face, make sure the swollen tear ducts went back down to normal so he could go to the temple and worship God. Sorrow did not overcome him, but what overcame him? The presence of an almighty God overcame him. Pain did not destroy him. We've all walked through painful situations, physical, emotional, in our relationships. You name it, we felt pain. And the longer we live, some of you have felt a lot more pain. And I'm sure I will too as I, as I walk in this journey of life. But we cannot let pain dictate the actions or our reaction to the situation. Nothing is more important than reacting in a way that points us to Calvary. Nothing is more important. Nothing is worth losing our reputation over. Nothing is worth losing our character and our integrity over. My dad's told me so many times. He still tells me to this day, Kaylee uh, laughs all the time because when me and dad are having our father-son bonding times and he's mentoring me in ministry and just... You name it, it happens in my office. I've got a green chair that sits real low to the ground. It's the ugliest chair you've ever seen in your life, but it is the most comfortable chair you will ever sit in. It's one of those college chairs. I got it when I was in college, and I refused to give it away. Kayla wouldn't let me keep it at home, so one day I drug it over to the office. And she still hates it, but it's in my office, so bless God. That's my one place that I can control. But Dad will come, and he'll come, and he'll plop down in that chair. And, you know, Dad's got short legs, bless his heart. (laughs) He's not here, so I can say that. But Dad sitting in that chair, it looks like he has long legs because his legs are up high because you sink so low. And this is what he says, and Kayla laughs all the time. He says, Bubba, Bubba, you only get one shot at this integrity thing. You only have one character in this life. Some mess-ups can... You can recover from, you'll be all right from, you'll make it, you'll recover. People will gain trust back in you again. But there's some things you do that you won't ever recover from. Church family, there's nothing that happens in our workforce. There's nothing that happens in your place of employment. There's nothing that happens at your family reunion. There's nothing that happens in the kitchen on Thanksgiving or Christmas when all the girls are gathered around the kitchen and they're, and they're cooking and they're gossiping and somebody's, feeling get hurt, uh, somebody's feelings get hurt. It's always inevitable at the holidays. So there's going to be at least one traumatic uh, emotional experience in the kitchen or with a woman. Amen. <laughs> Can we agree? Thank you, Sister Weldon. You're the only woman here that's honest enough to admit that it happens. And he said amen because it's his wife. (laughs) But it happens. But no matter where that place is, there's no circumstance bad enough worth you losing your self-control and acting in a way that will cause others to think less of you. You might not be able to control how others think. I understand that. We cannot control how others perceive us. We cannot control others' opinions from us. That is the other person. God gives us free will. God can't even control us at times, much less we control someone else. 
We might not control what they think, but we can control what we do. We can make it hard for someone to hate us. We can make it hard for someone to find something bad to say about us. Last week we were at a meeting and there were some people at the meeting that there's been some friction between and there's been some awkwardness through, 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 through situations that go two ways between me and other people. And, and, and my wife and I were talking. She said, you just went straight up to those people. You, you just went up to them with a smile and shook their hand. And I said, yes, babe. It's not, people are not going to say that Trent's going to ignore you. I might not have always been perfect, but I'm not going to live embarrassed because of my past decisions. I'm going to be able to face you. I'm going to be able to apologize. I'm going to be able to move forward. And as Christians, we must be mature enough in our relationship with God, but also mature enough as adults to move past some things. That's why there shouldn't be cliques in the church. We must be mature enough to move past that. We must move past that. I understand that there's big families, uh, the choppers. There's a herd of them people. There's a lot of people. That's a natural click. I'm not talking about family ties. My family's big. There's other families in the church that are large, that control major portions of our church. I'm not talking about family ties. I'm not talking about, well, the uh, uh, the choppers. I'm going to pick on y'all. Every Sunday afternoon, they want to go eat together. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I am talking about is when it's the same three or four people that want to go eat and want to go have their girls' nights or their guys' nights at Top Golf or whatever, they're going to choose to do, but they don't include others with that out of vengeance and out of spite and out of immaturity. We must move past that, people. And I don't think that's a big problem at our church, but I think it's a human issue that we will all face at one point or another. And as Christians, uh, forget being adults, forget being free Americans, forget this. Uh, We are Christians. We have the blood of Jesus on our life. There were some things that we are not allowed to do because his blood is present uh, in our life. There are some ways I am not allowed to act because his spirit lives in my heart. Uh, And yes, I might be able to act in a way, but as soon as I act in a way that contradicts his word, guess what? His spirit flees. I don't want to be one minute without His Spirit in my life. It's possible for His grace and His mercy to be in our life, but not His Spirit. I want His grace and I need His mercy, but more than all of that, I need His Spirit. Paul said in Ephesians, by grace are you saved. Grace leads us to salvation, but grace does not the saving power. Jesus Christ is the saving power in our life. It is His blood that saves us, and it is His blood that is living in us. We had a blood transfusion whenever we were filled with His Spirit, and so we must move past and upwards of some things. We must live above the fray. Everybody say, above the fray. Woo, that wasn't anywhere close to my notes, but somebody say amen. Amen. So let's go. Let's go forward. It's 8.15. I've got just a few more minutes. I said we were going to get out of here early, so I've got to hurry. Don't quit. Don't quit. Even though I'm trying to quit my lesson, don't quit in your situation. Temptation isn't always the enticement to commit a sin. Sometimes the greatest temptation that we face is, this, is just the temptation to quit. Have you ever faced that? I just want to quit. I just want to give up. I'm just not going to go back to that church. I'm not going to talk to that person again. I'm done. It's over. You're done. 
That's a temptation. That's a lie from the enemy that we buy into and we let affect our life. But don't quit. Don't quit working on your marriage. Don't quit fighting for your family. Don't quit being faithful to the things of God. And do not quit doing what's right. It's always right to do what's right. You can never be wrong by doing what's right. That's another one of those Bubba moments that I have in my office with my dad. Our flesh wants to quit, but God wants you to get back up. God wants you to bounce back. He wants you, he wants you to, he doesn't want you to fall, but when you fall, he wants you to be able to get back up on your feet. Matthew 24 and 13, quickly, quickly, quickly. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Don't quit. Don't give in to temptation. Do not throw in the towel. Don't, don't, uh, don't raise the white flag and surrender, but keep on fighting the good fight of faith. I want to tell you a story in closing as you stand with me. A guy, a guy by the name of Landon. Landon was nine years old. He had brain cancer. He had surgery and he's now cancer-free, thankfully. However, the surgery caused some disability in his right leg. He has to wear a brace, and he walks with a limp. Austin, you can relate to that, can't you, buddy? He spent a lot of time in that brace. Recently, he was running in a race at school. His mother said that she was there and was observing when Landon fell really hard. He was embarrassed. But more than embarrassed, he was hurt. She said, well, I tell you all to turn y'all's phone off, and I didn't turn my iPad off. Now I'm getting text messages up here. She said, without thinking, I stood and I screamed, get up, Landon, get up and run. She didn't think about, he's hurt. She didn't think about the circumstance that Landon found himself in. The coach ran over to Landon and said, you don't have to keep running, Landon. Don't feel like you have to finish. You're hurt, and we understand. Mom kept screaming, get up, get up, Landon, finish the race, run. So what did Landon do? Because he heard Mama's voice, he pulled himself together, got up, ran, finished the race. When he crossed the finish line, he fell over, and then he finished his crying fit. But what did he do? He got up, and he finished. There was a bounce back in his life. Don't listen to the voice of the devil when he tells you to quit. Don't listen. The devil only has control over what you give him control of in your life. The devil can't make you do anything. That's it. Resist the devil and he will flee. He shall flee. That is a promise in the Word of God that we can stand on for eternity. If your problem lasts five minutes or if your problem lasts five years, you can stand on that promise of resisting the enemy and he shall flee. Listen to the voice of this church. Listen to the voice of the Lord that comes from this church. More, more than the brick and mortar, more, more, uh, more than the pew, more than the human voice that talks to you over a pulpit or in a Sunday school class or a small group. Uh, more than that, listen to the voice of God. Because He's screaming, get up, finish the race, you can make it. Find courage in your life. Galatians chapter 6 and 9 
Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Or that's the New King James. The King James says, if you faint not, if you don't fall over, if you don't quit. Let us not grow weary or be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So when you fail, make it right. When you feel like quitting, when you feel like quitting, don't quit. When your feelings are hurt, get over it. Get over it. Learn to forgive and forget and move forward. When you want to stop, keep moving. 